right? Everybody good? Everybody else happy? I'm happy. I'm happy this morning. I can't wait. We've got such a great, great time of responding to God. And how many of you know, I love it when you hear the Word of God, and then at the end we've been, of course, responding in our worship of the Lord and our giving. And you know, we're talking about generosity. If you're just brand new here, we're t- we've been talking about generosity now for three weeks. We're going to talk about it today, and then we're going to wrap it up next Sunday. Um, but here's what I want you to, to see, and I've been hearing stories back, and I, I'm, I'm looking out here at Elmer and Wendy Embry, and I just got to tell you, they're some of the most generous people in the world. They, like, think ahead trying to kamikaze generosity bless you, all right? Um, I got to tell you a funny story. They found out that Marion and I were going out for dinner. You, might, you don't mind if I tell this story, do you? All right. They found out that Marion and I were going out for dinner. Huh? Oh, don't tell Oh, okay. And, um, and I think we were supposed to, Joel was supposed to be with us, right? All right. And, and they called the restaurant in advance, and they said, hey, we think there's somebody there um, that, that, you know, they're with this kid named Joel, and, and I think you even sent a picture. They even went online and sent a picture to make sure that the waiter would know to, to who to, you know, put their, and, they, and they're giving their, their zip, you know, visa card number over the phone to pay for our meal. They wanted to surprise, bless us. And so they were working really hard. They found a picture of my son online, sent the picture to this guy, and this guy's walking around the restaurant trying to find us so that this credit card could be applied. And he comes back and he says, yeah, I found them, all right? So so Elmer and Wendy end up paying for this bill, but the problem was they found somebody that must have looked like my son. So they bought some total straight, and, they, and then, of course, the waitress comes up and says, hey, this is being paid for by your good friends, Elmer and Wendy. We don't know them, but we're grateful that they just paid our bill, all right? So sometimes your generosity gets accounted for you down the road, even though it got misapplied in the earthly realm. But that's just their heart. We were, we were out this week, Marion and I, uh, putting our calendars together. We, sometimes we go out for breakfast and we try to coordinate life, okay? And so we're sitting there and we look up and we see one of our Living Stones precious ladies here eating breakfast. And so I call the waitress over and I said, hey, don't look, but see that lady straight ahead, like right behind my wife? Yeah, we want to pick up her tab for breakfast. She looks at me and she says, She's already picked up your tab for breakfast. <laughs> and and I, I said, well, you, I'm her pastor. You give me her tab. So it was, what was so funny is the lady goes, look, I'm not getting in the middle of this. And she just does this, all right? And, but here's the cool thing. Do you know that I'll bet those waitresses talk about those crazy people from Living Stones and how they're always doing this and picking up this and buying that and blessing that. I'm just telling you, this is strange behavior for the world because this doesn't happen in the world. So if you want to be a witness, if you want to move in a supernatural anointing of God's provision, start casting your bread on the water. Be a blessing. Start giving away things. Bless people and watch how it comes back to you. Amen? Of course, that's not why we give it away. We give it away because it's fun. We give it away because it's like God. That's how he is. But it's amazing. I've told you before, you can never, ever, ever outgive the Lord. So I'd encourage you, just try uh, and spend your life just trying and watch the way God will bless you. All right, now get your Bibles out because today I'm talking about making Jesus CEO. All right? 
chief executive officer of our lives. And I want to read from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. So I want you to follow along with me. Of course, it'll be on the screen, the overhead, but I also like for you to get into the Bible, get your fingers in the text so you can find it and see it and mark it and highlight it and read it for yourself. So let's begin reading in verse 13. Yes, we are going to be giving. Thank you, Dale. We're going to be giving at the end of the service after we've heard the word of the Lord. Hey, but look, that was a great response right there. You're like, come on, give me, give me an opportunity. Yeah. Yes, eager givers. That's what we want. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord in our giving at the grand finale. Okay, so hold on. And I want you to listen, as you're hearing the word of the Lord, today is an action day, all right? And I want to encourage all of you, respond, not to me, but respond to the word of the Lord, because God wants to do something today that's powerful. Let's take a look at the text, starting in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus says here, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? In other words, Jesus says, I'm not in the uh, lawyer business of trying to figure out who be- what belongs to who and settling people's estates. Why would you ask me to do that? And then he said this, and listen to this response. Beware with an exclamation point. That means Jesus is driving this point home. Beware. It's a strong warning. What does he want us to watch for? He says, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own or by how much stuff that you have. In fact, last Sunday, if you were here, I encourage you, if you weren't here, please follow along on our podcast. You can get caught up on our podcast. Last Sunday, we talked about three deadly sins. They were not like little potholes on on our journey. These are things that cause you to drive off the cliff and lose your soul. These are things that could damn you eternally. We talked about pride. How money and, uh, and, and pride go hand in hand. If we got lots of it, we think we're something special. We think we're a big shot, don't we? And then we talked about greed. The more we get, the more we want. And so if you're not careful when God blesses us, if our hearts aren't right, it turns into greed. And then we spend our lives trying to, to get stuff. And we completely miss why we, we're even here. And we said that greed is also a form of idolatry. And how many of you know, I challenged you last week, there will not be one idol worshiper in heaven. There will not be one idolater in heaven. Jesus will have no competition. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The only people that are going to be in heaven are people who have repented of their idolatry and placed their complete trust in Jesus. Amen? So how many of you know greed, idolatry, pride, those are three things that will destroy your life and destroy your forever. And we have to make sure we watch those. So Jesus reminds him, life isn't measured by how much stuff that you have. Contrary to the American dream. And look at verse 16. And then Jesus goes and he tells him a story. He tells him a parable. He says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. How many of you know he had a great problem? It was a blessing problem. It was a prosperity problem. And then he said this. I know. He's talking to himself. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and my other goods. 
But verse 19 is a key verse. He says, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, he's talking to himself, my friend, kind of a funny way to talk to yourself, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, my friend, and eat and drink and be merry. But look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you're going to die tonight. And then who will get everything that you worked for? And Jesus concludes the parable with this. He says, yes, a person is a fool to stir up, store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now let's take a look at the presenting problem here. And I need to put this in context Right before here, you know, we're picking up in verse 13, but in the previous verses, there's a huge multitude that's gathered around Jesus, and Jesus is mentoring, he's discipling his disciples. In other words, he's, he's pulling them aside, and he's, he's giving all that sideline side instruction, he's coaching them. And how many of you know they were in a little bit of heat, like anybody that's a true follower of Christ, if you're living a righteous life, sometimes you're going to go through a little heat or persecution. And so they were going through some heat and persecution, and Jesus said to them, he said, look, he says, don't be worried about what people can do to your body. You, need to ha- you shouldn't fear what people can do to your body. You should fear the one who can damn your soul to hell. You need to fear God. I mean, this was a huge wake-up call. Why are you worrying about the threats of these people? Why are you worried about this, which is going to perish? Why don't you worry about the condition of your hearts? And if you want to fear somebody, place your fear in God Almighty. Now, I just want to tell you, in our, I need to pause here. In our culture today that pictures this good, good father, warm, loving, sit on my lap, let me just hug and kiss you. How many know that's an accurate picture of God, but it's an incomplete one? Because the day is coming, and some of you need to hear me this morning, the day is coming when the only people sitting on their good, good daddy's lap are sons and daughters. And if you aren't one, that is not going to be the response of God towards you. Everybody's not a son or daughter, but you can be. And some of you need to hear this. God is coming back to judge the earth. And God will absolutely separate the sheep from the goats. He will will absolutely be a good, good father, and he will render judgment on everybody who has lived a stubborn, selfish, rebellious, God-hating life. You should fear him with everything in you. You should be trembling this morning if you don't know him because that's the one you have to stand before. Not someone that can hurt your body, break your arms, threaten you, whatever. Someone that has the power to punish you forever for your sin. That should cause us to be very sober this morning. And I want to lay that out there. If you're not in right relationship with God, do not leave here today. Operate in the fear of the Lord and let the fear of the Lord drive you to your good, good Father who wants to love you and care for you. Here's the problem. Jesus says, again, in these previous verses, fear God. He says, look, why are you folks worrying about stuff? God knows the hair on your head, Jesus said, and God knows even the sparrows, he knows them by name, sparrows, little, those little boring brown birds, all right, sparrows. He knows them. And so he says, 
Worry about the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Put your confidence in God. And then this guy, in the middle of Jesus teaching these disciples on the side, hey, teacher, teacher, rabbi, already interrupts the whole thing. And he says, if this is not, you know, the Bible is so relevant to our culture today. Hey, sort this situation out with my family member. We're, we're fighting over the stuff because mama died or daddy died and we're fighting over the stuff and he won't give me what's mine. And people do this. Maybe you've done this. Let me give you some words of wisdom. Stop it. Let me give you some other words of wisdom. If you're fighting like that, don't come see me. That's what Jesus said. Why are you messing? Why are you bringing this stuff to me? But this is what he said. Greed is deceptive. Riches are deceitful. I mean, you know, the spirit behind money is always talking. I need what's mine. I want what's mine. I'm demanding what's mine. I'm not going to let them take that clock. That clock is mine. Really? You're going to kill your brother over a clock? Over this quilt? Over a few bucks? Over the old car sitting in the garage? You're going to kill somebody over that? You're going to hate your family over that? Yes, people do it all the time. Money tells you lies all the time. And Jesus said, watch out for money because it's deceitful. It lies. It tells you things that simply are true. It tells you, well, I can't live without grandma's clock. Oh, yes, you can. You'll go on just fine. You really don't need grandma's clock. What's more important is what's going on in your heart right now as it relates to this stuff because it's not good. And when Jesus goes on to tell them this parable, what he's saying is this, and this is the principle. I mean, you know, Jesus said, if you'll follow the money, it will lead you and show you what a person's heart's like. It's like, how many of you know those GPS trackers, which says like, beep, beep. I love it when you're driving down, you're trying to look and figure out where you are. Listen, I'll tell you where you are. Your heart will always pursue what you value the most. Money is simply a tool that we attach value to, and money allows us to purchase by exchange what we like the most. You're going to, that money in your hands or in your wallet or in your bank account is a GPS tracker that gives us the true condition of what you live for. It's what you exist for. It's what, and listen, it's what gives you pleasure. Am I speaking the truth? That's why we said, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where the desires of your heart will be. How many of you have ever invested in stock, for instance? How many of you know, if you invest in a stock, what are you doing in the newspaper to start off your day? You grab the newspaper, what are you looking for? You're looking for your stock, because what are you trying to see? If it went up or if it went down? Why are you looking at that stock? Because you made an investment in it. Okay, we're getting ready to invest in Alanis. Restoration House Ministries, Jerry Allenies and the guys. If you want to have a heart for men who are wanting to be restored, you know how you have a heart for those guys? You send money there. If you want to care about Cambodia, why, why do I care about Cambodia? I can tell you why you don't care about Cambodia. You got no skin in the game. As soon as you write a check to help someone go to Cambodia, you care about Cambodia. Well, you know, that church, you know, that church. That, and when you say that church, I know you got no skin in the game because when you have skin in the game, it's my church. 
So I can tell where people's heart's at. I can tell where people's investment level is. Because people that invest in something, they care about it. I invest, I told you the story before, I, I actually helped hang one of the urinals in the men's room right down that hall. I just want you to know, I never touched the ranch. I just like held the thing in place, all right? I'm, I, nobody, they didn't want that thing to blow up, leak all over. They, I just, but every time I walk in there, I'm like, yep. That one right there, I helped hang, all right? I've got a sense of ownership because I invested something in that bathroom. How many of you know it's the truth? And you invest in people. You write somebody a personal check to help them. You know what? You care about that person. You'll probably pray for them more. You'll be interested in what's going on in their life. Because money has a way to direct your heart to what you care about. That's why it's so important. Do you care about God? Do you care about the kingdom? I can tell you how much you care by how much you invest in that thing. Because the more skin you have in the game, the more your heart is invested in that. This is not a gimmick. I'm trying to help you out this morning. This is not a gimmick. The more you invest in spiritual things, the more you're going to care about those things. If you don't invest, you have very little interest. I want you to be interested. And I want you to see something else. This is amazing. God is telling a parable. His name is Jesus. He's God. He's on planet earth. He is God incarnate. He is God in a bod. And God is telling a story. Now, this is, I want you to feel the weight of this. God Almighty is telling a story. <laughs> this is cool. Now, most of the folks around him didn't know who was telling the story. But we know. This is God. And the, the, the lead character in the story is not flat out broke as a joke. He's rich. He is a successful businessman slash farmer, and his crops are producing a super abundance. This is God telling the story. Connect some dots. I'm trying to tell you, not that God wants you to be super abundantly wealthy. That is not God's plan for every single person. But I'll tell you this, God wants, the Bible says, to enrich you in every way so that you would always have more than enough. How many of you like more than enough? All right. Praise the Lord. Me too. That's what God's telling in the story. This guy had more than enough. In fact, he had so much that the blessing was over the top. His problem was, how do I, how do I, what do I do with all this stuff? But here is the problem. We talked about this in weeks past. He lost sight of prosperity's purpose. And God called him a fool. In fact, literally, he is a damn fool because he is being damned that very night. Jesus says to him, you don't understand, tonight you're going to die, and the implication is you're going to spend eternity separated from God. He's not just a fool, he's a damned fool. Strong language. Why do we know that his prosperity was misaligned? In other words, he had missed the guardrails. He's going off the side to destruction. Look at verse 19, it's a key verse in this text. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, he loves this friend, it's it's himself, my friend, I love you, my friend, you're my best friend, me, myself, and I, you have enough stored away for years to come, look at what he says here, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. His life goal was to simply indulge in his own personal pleasure and happiness. He's He's a hedonist. How many know America is full of hedonists? People who live for their own pleasure. 
It doesn't matter whether it's legitimate pleasure, wicked pleasure, evil pleasure, righteous pleasure. All they care about is, I want to be happy. I want to feel good. I want to live a life of ease. I want to retire. I want to, be, I want to retire wealthy. I never want to have to worry about anything ever again. I just want to eat, drink, relax. I want to party. Remember John Piper telling a story about a couple that he read about in Reader's Digest. They retired. He was in his late 50s. She was in her mid-50s. They moved to Florida. They wanted to become sun bunnies, you know. They moved to Florida, and in the article, the person was interviewing. They said, oh, it's great. Well, what, how do you spend your life? We go out, and we collect seashells, and we, uh, we, you know, we golf all day long, and, and we do this and that, and they listed all the activities, and John Piper said this, what a wasted life. Someday you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life and you're going to be, all you're going to be able to do is this. Jesus, look at these cool seashells I collected. I mean, you know, it's going to be kind of empty. The goal of your life in your retirement years was to collect seashells? Let me tell you why that should not ever be the case for a born-again believer. Because when you look at this phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, Paul used the same phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you know anything about 1 Corinthians 15, it's Paul's great treatise on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He said, if we will ever live again after we die, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. What's the difference? For tomorrow we die, and that ends everything. Paul is looking at all the persecution and suffering and everything he's had to endure, and he basically comes to this conclusion. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then why in the world would anybody in their right mind live this way? I just want to ask you this morning. Why would we make any sacrifices for the gospel? Why would we suffer at all for the sake of the kingdom of God? Why would we defer legitimate pleasure now for greater pleasure later? Why would we ever, ever, ever make a sacrifice if Christ is not risen from the dead? Paul said your faith is futile and you're dead in your sins and life doesn't matter. Who cares? You're just going to die and rot in the ground some way. So, hey, whether you're collecting seashells or whatever other hobby that you have, it doesn't matter because life doesn't matter. You don't matter. You're just going to die and rot in the ground. But Paul said that's not the case. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ defeated sin. Jesus Christ gives us a worldview that makes sense. Jesus Christ puts our lives in context because as sure as he rose from the dead, listen to me, he is coming back again. He is coming back again. And everything Jesus Christ said and declared is absolutely true on the basis of the fact that he rose from the dead. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. The resurrection changes everything. You cannot live like a pagan. You cannot live like a godless person. You cannot just say, I'm living for my pleasure. I'm living for myself. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, whatever. You cannot live that way because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the game changer. So what does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things. And this is where we want to move into it right now. I want to talk about some post-resurrection 
financial reality. Okay, what does the resurrection of Christ mean as it relates to my stuff and my money, my job? You know, all of you in this room, uh, you know, I, that are not in between jobs, you get up and you go off to work and you use the skills that God's given you, and in exchange for what you do, you get money back, all right? Well, how does the resurrection change the way we run our business or change the way we work? How does it change the way we handle our money? Let me give you three key foundational truths, and then we're going to respond to the Lord. First one is this, and I want you to let this sink in. God owns everything. I mean, let the weight of this really hit you. The word you're going to hear in all three of these points is the word everything. I want you to understand God's claims on you are total. God's ownership of stuff is total, which means there's not one square inch, not only of planet Earth, but of the entire cosmos that God does not say it's mine. This is staggering, and yet it's so basic. Look at uh, Job chapter 41, verse 11. should be on the screen. We speak, I'm sorry, um, who has given me anything? God's asking this question. Who's giving me anything that I need to pay back? Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything under heaven is mine. Are you under heaven this morning? Then who do you belong to? How much of you belongs to God? Does your money belong to Him? Does your stuff belong to Him? Does your heart belong to Him? Does your family belong to Him? Everything. Everybody say that again. Everything. Everything. Total claim. God's taking total claim of you and I. Here's one of my favorite verses, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. How many of you are in the earth right now? Good. How many of you are not in the earth right now? Okay, we're going to pray for you. You're, you're having an altered conscious state right now. That's not good. We're going to pray for you. No, you're in the earth. Everything in the earth belongs to who? Including us. What about, what about people who don't acknowledge God? They still belong to him. Well, what about people who don't believe in God? Well, I don't believe in God. Tough. You still belong to the one you don't believe in. Your belief or non-belief does not alter God's ultimate existence and reality. In fact, it says here, the world and all of its people belong to him. So, point number one, God owns everything. And listen to me, the most basic baby step in being a Christian is simply acknowledging this. I'm going to say that again. How come you guys are really quiet this morning? The most basic baby step number one in being a genuine, real deal follower of Christ is acknowledging that you belong to God. All of you. How many of you know you don't come into the kingdom on installment plan? I'll give you a 10% down and I'll pay as I go. No. You come to the Lord like this. I surrender all. All right, let's go to point number two. Christ redeems everything. This is good news. Look at Colossians 1, 16, and then we'll jump down to 19 through 20. There's that pesky little word again, isn't it? 
everything, everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. How many of you in this room are part of the created realm? This is going to give you some of you help this morning. Why are you here? You're here through him and for him. You exist for him. You're not here for you. You exist for somebody else. You exist for Christ. And let me just tell you this. If you do not joyfully submit your life to Jesus, you are absolutely out of touch with reality and you will forever be wondering who you are and why you're on this planet. You're on this planet for Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He, God created you. Jesus redeemed you after you fell out of relationship with God. You're twice over the Lord's. Look at verse 19. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled, there's that word again, everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, this is important. What I want you to see this morning is what you do with your life is sacred, not secular. We were talking with a mayor, a Christian mayor, who did not get this. He thought that when he went to work, he had to leave his Christian faith at the door because somehow he had to be mayor of everybody. But how many of you know fundamentally he was God's mayor? He's God's mayor. And when he comes to work, he doesn't become secular. I just want to tell you that when you go off and work tomorrow... You bring the kingdom of God with you. If you, are a, if you are a business owner, your business is not secular. Your business has been owned by God, first of all, redeemed by Jesus, which means the curse over just the secular world is broken off your business. And what you do when you kingdomize your business is you allow the prosperity of heaven to flow through you to bless you and to bless everybody that comes in contact with you. I'm talking about the blood of Christ breaking off the curse of everything that needed to be redeemed. But listen, you can be a Christian and go off to work and live like a pagan in your orientation towards what you do. I've heard people say, I just hate what I do. I just hate what I do. Stop it. Redeem it. Redeem your perspective. And watch God begin to change your scenario by changing you. Some of you say, well, you know, I just do such and such for a living. And man, the economy is really bad right now. and Things are really... Listen to me. If you will bring your business and bring it under the cross and make it the Lord's and recognize that it's, sa- it's a sacred business, not a secular business. Well, man, I'm just a plumber. I've never really viewed my job as being sacred. You're a sacred plumber with holy pipes. I'm absolutely serious. I'm not being cute. Or you're just a plumber. Don't be just a plumber. Dedicate, consecrate what you do with your hands to the Lord, and then the kingdom comes in, and the supernatural comes in, and the blessing of God comes in, and you'll find that you'll prosper when other pipe fitters aren't. Pastor, are you serious about that? I'm as serious as can be. It all belongs to God. That's the first thing we recognize. It's not my business. I worked hard for this. You'd be dead if God didn't give you the breath in your lungs. Shut up. You wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the purpose of God. 
Who do you think you are? I mean, you know, when you, when you rewind the tape and you go all the way back to the beginning, you had nothing to do with it. That's why the Bible says honor your parents, even if they're not good parents. You know why you honor them? You wouldn't be here. And if you, if you appreciate your life, you just say, hey, thanks, Mom and Dad, because you know what? It wasn't your idea. You're the product of their idea, which means right from the very beginning, you're contingent, you're needy, and you didn't do nothing. So you need to come here. Remember I said last week, you come in here naked, you got an umbilical cord on your belly, and you're not paying any bills. You're not doing nothing. You're just eating and filling diapers. That's who you are. That's your identity. Not very impressive. You're so needy. That's all you do. The whole first year of your life. Not impressive. But now you're a big bad business owner and you worked hard and I made... No, you didn't do nothing. You got the favor of God on your life. Why don't you recognize it? Why don't you recognize who you are belongs to him? So we start by... He's the owner. And listen, you consciously... This is important. You don't just say, oh yeah, God owns everything. No, you're not connecting the dots. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'll tell you one thing it means on a practical level. Quit freaking out. Because you keep acting like you're the boss. Boss's job is to freak out. Your job's not. Your job's to, point number three, steward what you're in charge of. A steward just brings the problem to the boss. Boss, here's the deal. We don't have enough material. The job just went up. This just happened. We got this. I'm presenting it to you. What would you like me to do? And let me just tell you a hint. God doesn't freak out about anything. Because he's incredibly rich. Am I, is this making sense to anybody? Some of you guys look... I'm telling you stuff this morning that absolutely can change your whole life if you'll connect some dots this morning. We are, at the end of the day, stewards. We're simply managing his resources. And here's your assignment in a nutshell and my assignment. Maximize the investment of all that God has placed into my hands. I need to maximize the investment. Well, what are the investments? God's given you brains. He's given you brawn. He's given you good looks. He's given you personality. He's given you gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities. You're living in the United States of America. You're not in a lot of other nations where you wouldn't have certain opportunities. I mean, you know, we have been set up to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. What are you stewarding? You're stewarding your money. You're stewarding your time, your possessions, your opportunities, your influence, your relationships. And God has called you to be a trustworthy steward in everything, which means you need to recognize that it's all sacred. Everything that you touch is sacred. Everything that you do is holy, as unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you honoring, ask this to to the Lord. Lord, am I honoring you as owner and CEO of the assets you've entrusted to my care? Or am I treating you as a mere financial consultant to whom I pay a fee? 2%, 10%, etc. Have I been acting as if I own the store and you work for me, rather than recognizing that you own the store and I work for you? It's a big shift, isn't it? David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, said this, and I'll close with this, and then we're going to respond. He said, I place no value 
on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. Isn't that great? This is what he said. All that matters is Christ and his kingdom. That's what lives on forever. Everything else is temporal. So I'm going to steward everything that comes through my hands and, and view it in light of the kingdom of God. In other words, I mean, you know, if this guy was thinking correctly, he would have said this. God, you, I mean, you know, farmers have to believe God for a lot of things. What do you do? You take a seed and you stick it in the ground. Dan, what are we hoping for that shows up when you stick the seed in the ground? Abundant harvest. Abundant harvest. But, how, but what do seeds need? They need rain. Do you control the rain? Oh, no, you don't. So farmers plant a seed in faith, and they're dependent upon God for the harvest. You with me? They're dependent for the harvest. But they plant it in faith. This man should have said, God, I've sowed the seed. I've done my part. I've worked hard. I've made it nice and straight. I'm I'm weeding. I'm, I'm fertilizing. I'm doing whatever I need to do. But at the end of the day, you bless me with this harvest. So here's how I'm wanting to get you to think. What is it that you need? And when God blesses you above what you need, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for him and something he wants to fund. See, this is where it gets to be really fun. I'm not saying you go without. God never asks us to go without. That's not the kind of father. He never says, I'm going to starve you guys to death, but just put it all into whatever. No, he doesn't do that. He, he wants you to be enriched. He wants me to be enriched. But then when he blesses us, don't assume it's for bigger and better. I'm going to build a bigger barn, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. No, that's perversion. That's, mis- that's collecting seashells. You're missing out on why you're here. So here's what I want to do this morning. And this is not one of those things, you know, where you say, okay, whoever wants to keep breathing today, come forward for this altar call. Well, anybody in their right mind wants to keep breathing today. That's not what I'm saying. This is not one of those kind of catch-all altar calls. I really want you to think about this. Here's who I want to invite up here. If you today, in a very tangible way, and some of you are saying, well, maybe, Pastor, I've already done this. Well, this is just... If you've already done it, great. But this is one of those conscious times where if you're a business owner, we're bringing our business to the Lord and we're saying, you're the CEO. I'm taking my hands off of it, Lord. I work for you. You don't work for me, okay? I mean, you know, it's not one of those things where you say, well, Jesus, I just really wish you'd bless this business because I'm really in a bad time right now. No, you're still the CEO. You're just asking him to come in as a consultant. Stop it. He's insulted by the fact that you're just, he's just your consultant. And he's just your go-to when you're in crisis. Stop it. Why don't you give the business to him? It's getting really quiet in here. How about this on a personal level? If God owns you, then will you obey him? Will you listen to what he tells you to do with your money, which really isn't your money. It's his money. Not just the tithe. It's all his. He just lets you live off the other 90, but you're still a steward of the 90. See, I'm I'm talking here about real Christianity. I'm talking about people following Jesus, not just going to church. I'm talking about people that recognize he's the owner. I'm talking about repenting of where we've acted like we're in charge. 
or where we've kept the Lord at a distance. I'm talking about somebody truly in a state of brokenness saying, God, I have lived as if I'm in charge. It's my life, and I've, I've lived in rebellion against you. God, forgive me. Take control of my life. Some of you, this is a moment where you're truly born again because you're transferring the ownership from you to him. You belong to him. How many of you know the greatest gift I could give you this morning is for you to leave here and, and, and to have this realization? I and everything I own belongs to God. <sighs> Talk about lifting the burdens off. That's the invitation. If that's you, I want you to come forward here. We're going to pray together. We're going to consecrate ourselves and consecrate what we do and consecrate, if you own your own business, consecrate it to God in a tangible way. Right here, right now. God, I give you control. Here's what you're doing then. You allow the supernatural power of God to come into what was once your business. It's now his business. How many of you know God loves to bless what's his? God loves to bless what's his. He's not all that thrilled about blessing what's yours because he knows it'll kill you in the long run. All right, it'll foster your idolatry. I want you to stand to your feet.